Well, to encourage my kids, I often tell them of all the chores that I did when I was their age. (laughs) I like to tell them, we didn't have a dishwasher growing up. I was the dishwasher. I cleaned the bathrooms, I vacuumed the floors, I swept, I mowed the lawn, lots of other stuff, so much more. Um, My parents are here today, so you can get the real story, but I did a lot. Uh, That's my truth. That's what I remember. I, I remember reporting to my dad one time that I was done cleaning the bathroom, and he came and checked my work, and he said, do it again. And I reported back to him several times before I was done cleaning the bathroom. You know, I didn't like it at the time, but the Lord blessed me with a dad who taught me not to be lazy in my work, but to be diligent until the job was done. Uh, Now, my dad wasn't the kind of person who was micromanaging. He wasn't hanging over my shoulder or demanding perfection all the time. But through his example and through his teaching, through his words, my dad warned me uh, against the danger of laziness and encouraged me to be diligent in my work and the joy of working hard and a job well done. Well, if this is what a good dad expects of his children, what might the heavenly father expect of his children? How might we need a warning every now and then if we're becoming spiritually lazy? How might we be encouraged to persevere in hope and in diligence in God? Well, to consider these things, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Feel free to use these black pew Bibles in the chairs and the pews around you. You can find Hebrews 5, 11 and following on page 1063 of these pew Bibles. This is the series I wanted to t- title, Don't Stop Believing," uh, but that was my last sermon. This sermon, I want to encourage us, encourage us to don't stop persevering. If we're going to persevere to the end, we're, need, we're going to need to grow up and press on. If we're going to persevere to the end, we're going to need to grow up and press on. That's my simple main idea. It also serves as the outline for our time together this morning in God's Word. Grow up and press on. And my prayer for us as a church and for you, Christian, brother and sister, is that you would be growing up into maturity and be warned today of the consequences if you do not grow up into maturity. And that you would press on in hope and in perseverance in Christ. So that's my prayer for us as a church and for you, friends. And let's dive into this rich text together. Point number one, grow up. Starting in chapter 5, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11 of the book of Hebrews. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain, since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. 
You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Well, in verse 11, we see that our author, our preacher, the book of Hebrews is a sermon, has much more to say about what he's been talking about earlier in chapter 5, which is Jesus as our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. If you need a refresher, you can go back and read that uh, later this afternoon. But there's a problem in this sermon. He gets to this point, and the problem is that the audience, the listeners, have become sluggish. <laughs> They've become lazy. They're slackers. The problem is not with the sermon. No, the sermon's just fine. It's a really good sermon. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the listeners who are the problem. They have become too lazy to understand this crucial teaching of Christ as our great high priest. So then now look at verse 12. They should be teachers by now. I don't think he means that they should all be elders or going into full-time ministry. I think he simply means that they should be examples in word and in deed to, to their brothers and sisters. But instead, they want Christianity light. They just want the basics, milk. What's the milk? Well, we're going to see what the milk is uh, in chapter 6 here in just a minute. But for now, think of the milk as Christian basics. Elementary school Christianity, if you will. Our preacher essentially says, come on, you bunch of babies, grow up already. Work harder at listening to these core theological truths. This teaching is not for people with seminary degrees or for pastors. No, this truth about Jesus as our great high priest, our advocate, is for all believers to train us in righteousness, to train us how to discern between good and evil. Did you see that in verse 14? So, if the milk is elementary school Christianity, the solid food is the teaching about Christ that will make us mature, that will help us grow up to be the godly Christians that God has called us to be. So, how do we bite into the stake of this Christian teaching? How will we be mature, the mature Christians that God has called us to be? Well, let's look at 6.1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Let me first tell you what I think this text is not saying. This text is not saying, let's go beyond the gospel. It's not saying, let's go on to the, to the deeper things like eschatology and ecclesiology and superlapsarianism and the Greek and the Hebrew and biblical theology. Uh, no. When he says, let's leave the elementary teaching about Christ, he doesn't mean let's abandon it altogether. Uh, some translations will say, uh, let us move beyond and be taken forward. This is how I thought of it, I think because of the time of year. It's graduation season, right? We're celebrating our graduates as we rightly should. 
Why? Why do we celebrate graduates? Well, because they're moving forward in their education, right? Uh, It's not that they're abandoning their previous education. They've laid a good foundation, but they're going forward. They're growing. They're maturing. They're not content to stay where they are, but they're going on to maturity. I think that's what this, our author is kind of getting at. Um, He's saying, you know, don't be like Billy Madison, if you're familiar with the Adam Sandler movie. You know, don't stay in kindergarten or elementary school or even high school forever. If you're still wanting to go over the phonics of Christianity, there's a problem if you're, if you're still practicing those. Something's wrong. That foundation has been laid, so now let's build on that foundation of repentance and faith and start living these things out in maturity. Now, the things in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that kind of list of things, I I think that's the milk, right? We're not going to go through those in detail, but that's the teaching that's associated with the beginning of the Christian life, the, the basics of our faith. But what happens if a Christian stays drinking formula their whole life? What happens if they stay in verses 1 and 2 and don't grow up into maturity, that they're content to be baby Christians. Well, welcome to warning number three of the book of Hebrews. It's, uh, we took a little break from the warning passages of the book of Hebrews, and now here we are with the granddaddy of them all. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, struck fear and caused uh, scholars and theologians to tremble for a long time, and we're going to tackle it together now. So let's not be lazy in our listening. Uh, Let's dive in to chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, the third warning in the book of Hebrews, starting in verse 4. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. Verse 7, for the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and at the end will be burned. All right, let's dig in. I have three questions of, this, of these verses just to kind of organize our thoughts kind of under categories. First, who is the intended audience of Hebrews 6, 4 through 8? Well, it says, who, how are they described? Once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, sharers in the Holy Spirit, tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age. Friends, this is describing true Christians. Many scholars and theologians will argue, uh, good, good Christian friends will argue that Hebrews 6 is addressing an almost Christian. They're almost there. Or that this is the part where the preacher, you know, he's preaching to a church. It's a mixed audience. So obviously there's some non-Christians there. So this is where he turns and like really warns the non-Christians. But I think those scholars and theologians are wrong. I think this is addressing true Christians in verses 4 through 8. Why do I think that? because my daddy told me so. (laughs) Seriously, though, he has a good commentary on the book of Hebrews. I would encourage you to look to that. (laughs) Christians are being addressed in this warning um, because 
this warning is actually consistent with the other warnings in the book of Hebrews. And also, I can't find anywhere else in Scripture where a non-Christian is described as someone who's sharing in the Holy Spirit. That's like one of the marks of being a Christian, having the Holy Spirit. So even though it's going to cause us some theological uh, questions later, I think the most simple and natural way to read this text is we are being warned, church, brother and sister. You and I mean, this is, this is to us. Um, further, in the other warnings, so uh, this is just a little like review from the, the first two warnings that we considered in this sermon series. Um, sometimes the Holy Spirit-inspired author even includes himself in the warnings. Remember chapter 2? We must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. Does our, does our uh, scripture writer temporarily like identify with non-Christians there? No. I think he's talking to Christians. Um, so I don't think things have changed all of a sudden in chapter 6. We are being warned. This warning is for you, for me, not for the person sitting next to you, not necessarily for that Christian friend or, fam- or that uh, friend or family member who once professed faith but has now fallen away. This is for us. Question number two, what is the warning? What are we being warned of? Well, what does it say? It's impossible to restore someone who finally falls away. What's falling away? I think it's apostasy. That is finally denying Christ in the end, rejecting Christ. Now, let me just say that from our perspective, um, it's hard to discern the difference between falling away and falling right? I mean, in a moment in time, it looked like the apostle Peter fell away, but he repented. It looked like King David fell away when he committed murder and adultery, but he repented. So, from our perspective, it may look as though someone has fallen away, but there is always hope as long as someone draws breath from our perspective to pray and to beg the Lord to draw someone back. Um, And yet, I think this text clearly teaches that there is a point, although we can't know when that point is from our perspective, where someone's heart becomes so hard uh, that there is no retracing their steps. There's no coming back. Which brings us to our third and final consideration, like textually from this, is what's the danger if we fall away? Like, do they just not get as much rewards in heaven to kind of live a dissatisfied Christian life? Um. I don't think so. I think it's damnation. I think that's the danger. Eternal ruin. Notice in verse 8, it's not the fruit that's burned, it's the land. It's the land that's burned. If you don't produce good fruit in keeping with growth and Christian maturity, you'll get burned. Again, I think this is consistent with the other four warnings in the book of Hebrews, if we look at them all together. So, our takeaway from Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 is actually rather simple. Don't fall away, Christian. Don't leave the safety found in Christ. But, if we interpret the text this way, it leaves us with questions, doesn't it? Uh, For many of us, we're thinking, wait a minute. I thought the Bible teaches perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. Many of us know by heart Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will, he will carry it on to completion until the day of the Lord Jesus. We're going to sing 
Lord willing, at the close of the service, he will hold me fast. Well, will he or will he not? Can we fall away or can we not? It's a good question, but it's the wrong question. It's not actually where Hebrews 6 wants to take us. Can a true Christian fall away? That's not the point of Hebrews 6 or the warning passage of Scripture. Let me elaborate. Hebrews 6 is like a warning sign at the Grand Canyon. Thanks, Todd Miles. Um, it's, it's a warning sign at the Grand Canyon that says, stay away from the edge. Now, we're not meant to ask when we see that warning sign at the Grand Canyon, hmm, but I'm not really able to fall off that ledge, am I? I mean, I'm afraid of heights, so I don't think that's going to happen to me. I don't think that's possible for me. Is that sign really for me? That's not the point of the, of the sign at the Grand Canyon, is it? Uh, I think we've already established that Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 is for us, and and I'm going to say this again, true Christians always heed the warnings of Scripture. The warning not to fall away from Christ is one of the means, the God-ordained means that the Lord uses to hold us fast. God's promise to hold us fast, to keep us, does not negate our response of perseverance. We can't use the doctrine of perseverance of the saints in order to say, well, we can do whatever we want then, because God has ordained that we would hear these warnings and tremble and fear and be sobered and respond to them. I, if this sounds kind of strange to you, it's like, well, how can both of these things be true? I think this is true in so many other areas of, uh, of theology. Uh, consider that God is the one who takes, to, to, salvation belongs to the Lord alone. He takes initiative in salvation. He alone is the one who saves us by His grace. And yet, we're still called to repent and believe, right? God ordains all things that will happen, even from the roll of the dice, from the fall of the sparrow. He ordains all things. So, should we not pray then, because God's going to do whatever He wants? No. How many times in Scripture are we called to pray? Right? So, this is not inconsistent with how God works. God didn't say, even with his son, you know, I'm going to send, I'm, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make you a people. Jesus, still in obedience, went to the cross for our salvation. So, God warns us in Scripture to not fall away, and we must listen to this warning. We must heed. Uh, we like to think about the God-ordained ends to bring us comfort. You know, once saved, always saved. There's nothing I can't lose my salvation. And, and that's right. We should take comfort in that. But we also need to consider what God calls us to, which is to listen, to obey, to persevere in the faith. Christians must persevere. So if that was all just a little bit confusing or new to you, let me just say it this way. True Christians will always obey the warning signs of Scripture. True Christians will always obey the warning signs of Scripture. They respond to the warning and thus persevere. But one of the means that God uses to keep His children in the faith are these warnings. So when Hebrews 6 says, don't re-crucify the Son of God by holding Him up to contempt by your sluggish listening, 
That is God's ordained means to jolt you out of your spiritual lethargy, your sluggishness, so you don't fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon. Uh, Now, let, let me just also say that no one in their right mind plans to fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon. No one plans to abandon Christ. I mean, you don't just wake up one morning and you're like, you know, I'm going to abandon Christ normally. What happens most of the time, and isn't this what this text is warning us of, is we get careless. We get lazy. We're not alert. You know, kids, when your parents warn you, when you're like on a family hike and maybe you're at the edge of a precipice and your parents say, you know, don't get, don't get so close to the, to the ledge. Why are they doing that? Why do your parents do that? Well, because they love you. And kids, you're less experienced in the ways of the world. Kids, when, you're, when we're young, we think we're invincible. We think that nothing can stop us. Uh, so kids, God in his kindness gave you parents to protect you, to warn you, to watch over you. Christian adults and kids too, we're all like children. We need to be warned from God's word for our own safety. And we need to listen. And we can't grow lazy in our listening. And while true Christians will always be God's children, this text calls us to wake up. So how do you need to wake up? How do you need to grow up spiritually? What would that look like for you? What would maybe be some warning signs that you've grown sluggish in your understanding of God's Word? What are some signs? Are there ways that you're not producing fruit in keeping with faith and repentance, but maybe producing thorns and thistles? It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Dads, how do you need to grow up? Our families need us to grow up. You may feel like a failure as you consider uh, your leadership, your spiritual leadership in your home, or if you have grown children, you you maybe look back with a lot of regret. Uh, So often we can abdicate as as men um, our spiritual responsibility to our wives or even to the church. Today is the day, I think this text warns us to be woken up with self-preoccupation and dwelling on our failures, and today, to grow up, to help one another grow up. It's not going to be easy. We, we are selfish. Our egos are fragile. Uh, we can feel, like I said, so often like we're failing and we're not doing enough. We need warning and encouragement. We'll talk about the encouragement here in a minute. But let's help one another grow up. Let's help one another be uh, examples in word and deed. Be like teachers, like we saw in this text. Single men in the church. This this church needs you to be like teachers, to be like spiritual fathers, no matter your age. To be growing in maturity, to not be content with milk. There is is no reason why a single man can't serve as an elder in, in Christ's church. So how are you going to make yourself an example and seek to grow in maturity and to seek to be an example of what we see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. 
how will you grow up? So men, women, children of Hinson, let's confess, let's repent of the ways that we struggle with immaturity. We all struggle with immaturity. And we need to help one another so that we might grow in our faith. You know, maybe, maybe our immaturity expresses itself in our speech. We're not careful with what we say. Maybe it's in our worldly priorities or how we spend our time, our preoccupation with things that just aren't beneficial. You know, it's maybe not necessarily sinful, but they're not beneficial. Maybe we're very content to just have a very surface-level understanding of God's Word. So how are you going to take a step in spiritual maturity even this summer, today, this week, this summer. It's not going to necessarily mean take, signing up for seminary classes, although all are welcome, all members are welcome to sign up for the Hinson Ecclesiology uh, Seminary course this fall. Uh, you can talk to me more about that later because we do want to grow in our understanding. But ultimately, uh, take, growing up in maturity is going to be taking responsibility for one another, right? That's what maturity looks like is not being preoccupied with self, but looking out to benefit others. And how much more do we learn? I mean, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, you know how much more you learn about a subject if you're teaching others, if you're helping others grow. We need more teachers in this church. We need people who are going to teach through their example, through love, uh, through, through warning even. Um, and it's going to look a lot, it's going to take different forms based on your season of life and your gifts. So what might that look like for you today and this week? Who are you looking out for? Who's getting too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon? And how can you use the gifts that God has given you to help someone? Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 tells us if we're not growing up, we're in danger of falling down. But like a good parent, Hebrews 6 doesn't just sternly warn, but the preacher comes alongside and encourages and assures us with God's promise. Uh, We're encouraged not to just grow up, but to press on in what we are already doing. And that brings us to our second point. Point two, press on. Press on. Look with me at Hebrews 6, verse 9. Even though we're speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance." Remember, in point one, we were strongly warned. The stern voice of dad warned us, don't get too close to that ledge. If you do, you could fall. But lest we become paralyzed with fear, the same voice that warns us now comes along and encourages us. Even though I'm giving you this warning, church, I'm confident of things that pertain to salvation in your case. Now, you know, the intensity of the warning in 6, 4 through 8 could cause the reader to miss the encouragement that we should have actually seen coming in 6, 1. Isn't the preacher of Hebrews a good pastor? You know, he he calls them infants. 
It's like Holy Spirit-inspired shaming almost in 5.11 through 14. He kind of calls them a bunch of babies. But then he comes along, he's like, you know, but you're not going to stay there. Let's go on now to maturity in 6.1. We're going on. I'm not content to leave you where you are because uh, what's God's desire for his church? That they remain where they are? No. What does he say in verses 11 and 12? What does it say there? What's, what's the God's desire for his church? What do we see? Diligence. Assurance. Imitating godly examples. Faith. Perseverance. Here's the opposite of spiritual laziness. It's diligence and hope. Persevering with hope in the promise. And isn't this what the whole letter of Hebrews is about? Press on, press on in faith. You know, when my, when my dad would come, came that time that I remember and checked the bathroom, my cleaning of the bathroom, he didn't say, you know, it's an absolute mess in here, but I know your heart's in the right place. Uh, well done. And when a friend is backing up towards the edge of uh, the Grand Canyon, you know, to get that selfie, we don't say, we know you mean well, so you just keep doing you. <laughs> Once saved, always saved, you know. No. Uh, we can be assured that we are in the faith if our life demonstrates faithfulness, diligence, this is a means of assurance that we are working uh, in service and love. Isn't that what it said earlier? He, he, he's assured of better things in their case because he sees their love demonstrated in action, particularly towards the brothers and sisters. Perseverance, diligence, hard work, service towards your brothers and sisters is what faith looks like the fruit of faith. This is how we grow in assurance is pressing on in love and good deeds. And this is what I see here at this church. In God's kindness, the Lord has blessed this church with so many examples that I could point to of things pertaining to salvation. I see evidence of you all, my brothers and sisters, my friends pressing on in the faith. Um, I see my brother John Schnur rallying people to help people with practical needs in the church, and I see people sacrificing their time and their energy to help people move and with other practical needs. I see my, my sister Elaine Phelan and uh, people rallying around her to go reach out to the elderly women in our church who are no longer able to attend. I see uh, Doug Fable and his work as a deacon and the, the people who are serving us right now in sound. Uh, sacrificing uh, their time and using their gifts so that you can hear the teaching of God's Word. Over a hundred of you are serving in children's ministry uh, to care for the kids, to teach them the truths of God's Word. And besides all that practical work, even more, I see relational work of digging in. Even as you're, you're serving sometimes in practical ways, I see you loving one another. You're not just here for the friendships. You're not just here for community, but you're here for friendships and community that press on in faith, that want to see growth and godliness, a desire to press on in the end, to the end. 
you know, I am thankful to be one of the pastors of this church, to be a beneficiary of your love, your encouragement, your good deeds. I'm, I'm blessed every week, particularly every Sunday, by, by your example, by your perseverance in the faith. So, should we kind of take this like this? Uh, so, if our good deeds, like our service, outweigh our kind of lazy listening, um, then, you know, then we won't fall. We won't fall away. If we can just do more good deeds, more service, then we'll be, we'll be okay. We won't fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon. No, obviously, that is not what our text is saying. Our text is saying, press on in faith. Keep up the good work. Keep up till the end. Don't stop. Keep striving. Be diligent in hope. But that raises the question, right? Hope in what? Hope in what? Hope in us? Well, let's consider the final section of this warning and encouragement this morning. Look with me at our final text this morning from 6, chapter 6, verse 13, to the end of the chapter. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, and Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The foundational promise for God's people is God's promise to Abraham. Uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham was unconditional. Uh, God said he was going to do this no matter what, and he swore by himself so that Abraham was doubly sure he's going to bless Abraham, he's going to give him a son, he's going to make him into a great nation, and he's going to make Abraham a blessing to all the nations. God guaranteed that he would do this, and it's, it's impossible, as we see in this text, for God to lie. What was Abraham's response? How did God, or how did Abraham respond to God's promise? Well, he believed. He trusted God's promise, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He hoped. He pressed on in faith. We see in this text that it took patience. If you know the story of Abraham, it wasn't perfect, but the object of his faith was secure. You know, Abraham waited for years before God's promise was fulfilled in a son. I'm sure there were days that he doubted, but he pressed on in faith. He hoped for what was not seen. Uh, God's word was a rock to him. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us a little bit more of what was going on in Abraham's heart. It tells us that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't putting, Abraham wasn't putting his hope in the things of this world. Abraham knew that, this, that his hope was not finally in this life, 
but in the God who made a better promise than the promise of this world. Abraham and Sarah greeted God's promise from a distance. They confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. They desired a better place, a heavenly one. They knew God's word was reliable. And because of this, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah are examples of fleeing to God for refuge, seizing the hope that is set before them in God's word. And it became clear that they did this, that their faith was real because of how they were patient. What does pressing on look like? What does waiting on God look like? It looks like patience. It looks like looking to God's word. Yes, there are ups and downs. There are times that we doubt. But they persevered in faith, even at the times, just as our brother John Schnur read to us, when they were willing to sacrifice the things that they held most dear. That's what faith looks like. You know, the promise, God's promise to Abraham was just the beginning. Today, we have more than Abraham had to go on. He had a promise sworn by God, by his character. And we have a promise that's guaranteed with the blood of the Son, the Son of the Father. And that hope is like an anchor, an anchor that goes into the presence of God himself. Hebrews 6.20 says it this way, that Jesus has entered the presence of the Holy of Holies like as a forerunner, also that we might do what? Draw near. So that we might have encouragement to press on in faith. In Christ, we have a guarantee that God's word is sure. Because of Jesus, our hope is secure and firm. He serves as our high priest forever. And when we struggle to press on, Jesus is praying for us. He is advocating for us. He is there in the presence of his Father, and he is helping us. So as Abraham worshiped in the presence of Melchizedek long ago, we can worship today. We can worship today by giving ourselves as living sacrifices as we press on in faith in God's promise, knowing that we have an anchor for the soul in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, again, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. You are always welcome here. And we want to offer you an invitation to trust in a better promise, a better word, a better hope than what the world is holding out to you. We know as Christians from our own experience that Everything else that we try to put our hope in other than Christ will let us down, will not finally fulfill. And certainly, as we think about how short our lives are and the eternity that awaits us, but we would invite you, friend, to trust in this better word today, in this word of Christ. We'd invite you to turn from your spiritual laziness from your, your pride, thinking that you can live life on your own terms. 
thinking that you know better. But God's word, God's promise calls us to abandon uh, this earthly city and look to the city to come. You know, Christ's death on the cross alone gives us access to the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life that we all so desperately need. And he promises to anchor all those who turn in repentance and faith in his son, Jesus. He gives us a hope that makes us secure. He promises to keep us for himself so that we might dwell with him and be called his people and he will be called our God. So the son, the son of God is who we are calling everyone here who can hear my voice to put their trust in this morning. There is no confidence that we can have like the confidence in the Son of God and His Word. Brothers and sisters, Hinson Baptist Church, we've considered the danger of spiritual laziness this morning. We are all prone to wander too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon like immature children. But the Father calls us back, doesn't He? With a loving word of warning, he calls us away and calls us to grow up and press on, press on in the faith. The Father calls us to anchor ourselves to the rock that is Christ, the anchor that reaches into heaven itself where Christ has gone before us. He intercedes for us now, and he helps us live the life of diligence and hope that we can't live on our own. Because he has gone before us and entered into God's presence after making sacrifice for our sins, we can draw near to him. So today, I don't know what you're feeling like in your faith. I don't know if you're feeling immature, uh, but now is the time, no matter where you are, to take a step of growth and maturity. Today is the day to press on, to keep up the good work and faith, knowing that we have a great high priest who leads the way. So as you seek to grow up and press on, don't look to yourself. Don't measure yourself based on looking at other people, you know, by other people's spiritual maturity or lack thereof. No, we're not called to look like that. We're called to look to Jesus, the author and the pioneer of our faith, who for the joy set before him went to the cross so consider him the better sacrifice, the better promise, the better word, the better object of our faith. You know, our faith is not in our efforts or to keep ourselves from falling. In the storm, we know that it is well with our soul because he will hold us fast. So, will you grow up into him, your head, and will you press on in faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we recognize uh, that we have fallen short in many ways. Though your promise is great and glorious and sure that it is the rock that we need, so often we are dull and sluggish in our understanding. Now we are distracted by many things. Uh, so Father, we pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would help us to turn and lift our eyes to you and that we would hear your loving warnings and your encouragement and assurances to us in Christ.
Uh, Lord, help us to be those who not just hear your word, but who listen, who obey, uh, who tremble and are sobered by your word, and also take great encouragement and assurance in this better word that we have in your son. Uh, So Lord, we thank you for the means of perseverance that you have given us. We thank you for giving us the church uh, so that we might not run this race or press on alone or seek to grow in maturity on our own, but that we might have examples here among us um, to encourage us, to speak the word, words of truth to us. We pray that we would be those who take that spiritual responsibility in the lives of others to do one another spiritual good so that we might see and savor you, Jesus, so that your promises and your word might be more precious to us than the things of this world. Oh, Lord, we confess we need your help. Uh, so come, Holy Spirit, soften our hearts, uh, make us ready to be uh, obedient and loving servants of you. Help us to grow up and press on in Jesus' name. Amen.